Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. Thoughts and comments expressed here are the opinions of Chad and Lou, and not necessarily those of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studios. Caution, this show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Welcome to episode 12 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on pretty much whatever topic we want. This week, we're going to try something a bit different. Starting here, we're going to be doing a series of episodes featuring songs that have one single word in common in their title. Don't worry, we won't be doing anything as simple as, you know, the, or if, or of. We'll be narrowing it down a bit more than that. This week's word is good. Good, unlike bad, really only has one meaning, and that's one of being positive. One would be hard-pressed to find something good that is negative. Today we're going to talk about some good songs from a range of artists. So put on your happy pants and relax while we get the show started. So, Lou, it's been a while since we recorded. How are you it, doing? It has. Um, pretty well. Uh, well, it's been a while since we recorded this one. Uh, we, we did the That's Blues true. podcast. But, yeah, it's I've, I've almost forgotten what you've looked like. Oh, if only you could be that lucky. I have a face for radio. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Are you going to argue with that? I'm not going to argue, but I'm not going to agree either. Okay, fair enough. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off? All right, well, we're going to start with Good Vibrations by Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Oh, yeah. Uh, any child of the 90s knows this song and came out in 1991. And I just have to say, ah, Marky Mark, before you were an actor, you were a funky, fresh hip-hop star with your funky bunch. The song exploded onto the scene and was on pretty much every party compilation CD that was released in the early 90s, especially if it had anything to do with MTV. Let's take a quick listen. TV Party to Go, Volume 2, which was basically the now of the 90s. Wow, Volume 2? Yeah. What are yeah. they on now, about 604? Uh, I, I think Party to Go for MTV died out, but now I think they're at 64. Uh, now? Of now, yeah. In fact, okay. When I was at the library the other day, they have like now everything now. This is what I call power ballads. This is what I call bathroom music. I mean, it's like pretty <laughs> much everything. You know, and I have to say, you know, Marky Mark, he was pretty much likable by anyone, you know? I mean... To get the lady demographic and show how badass he was, he had the music video that hit all the hip-hop tropes. Him lifting weights, boxing, making out with some chick. Now he smokes weed with a teddy bear and is part owner of a chain of burger joints. Yeah, I mean, Mark Wahlberg, he's an actor now. In fact, there are times um, that he has walked out of interviews because they bring up Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Oh, really? Yeah, he, it's, a, it's like one of his no-question-clause things. To me, that's just that's asinine. I mean... It's let's part say of history. Right. Let's say you and I get famous doing this podcast, okay? 
Okay. And we get famous, and we we branch out, and we start doing movies and stuff. And somebody at an interview goes, "So you guys started with this podcast called Musically Challenged?" We're like, "Fuck you! We're out of here!" Yeah, right. What would be the point? Yeah, you know what? Right. And really, it's it's kind of giving the finger to the people who got you there. Yeah, exactly. You know, because I mean? honestly, think about it. Yeah, I mean, he's not the most unattractive. I mean, his brother was part of the New Kids. Oh uh, yes. There's decent looks in the family. Okay? Right. You know, he was ripped and everything else. I can see where he was found attractive. And that, as I mentioned before, is part of the demographic that sold your CDs. Absolutely. So, so by saying, nope, I don't want to talk about this, you're essentially alienating everybody who got you to your stardom. Right. And and see, then that's the thing that bothers me about that. But now you take and you look at actually, you know, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. They had the song Good Vibrations. It was a song I loved. Like you said, it was a summer hit. Everybody in the 90s knew the song oh my god and every party you went to dance or whatever they yeah it was there oh yeah weddings even in that way but to i enjoy the song i enjoy some of their other stuff they had a few other hits per se (laughs) i like the finger quotes there well yeah i mean because they were they were hits but they weren't they weren't hits on the on the volume of good vibrations they weren't really singles they were just songs that right right that would play on the radio from time to time but I think as far as that goes, I mean, great song. I guess not a great song. A good song. I, I would agree. All right, what you got for me? All right, so up next, I also have Good Vibrations, but this time by the Beach Boys. A little bit older. Yep. So the Beach Boys leader, Brian Wilson, was responsible for the musical composition and virtually all of the arrangements for Good Vibrations. His cousin and bandmate, Mike Love, contributed to the song's lyrics and its bass vocalization in the chorus. During the recording sessions for Pet Sounds of 1966, for Good Vibrations, Wilson said, I had a lot of unfinished ideas, fragments of music I called feels. I I had to put that in there because you and I have had this talk before. (laughs) About the feels. About the feels. So he called it the feels. Each feel represented a mood or an emotion I'd felt, and I planned to fit them together like a mosaic. Most of the song's structure and arrangement was written as it was recorded. Wilson stated... I was an energetic 23-year-old. I said, this is going to be better than you've lost that love and feeling. Let's listen to what he's talking about. From the start, Wilson envisioned a theremin for the track. Um, All music reviewer John Bush pointed out, radio listeners could easily pick up on the link between the title and the obvious electronic riff sounding in the background of the chorus. But Wilson's use of the theremin added another delicious parallel between the single's theme and its use of an instrument player never even touched. Good Vibrations is a song composed and produced by Brian Wilson with words by Mike Love for the American rock band uh, the Beach Boys. Why did I put that sentence there? I, I, it's a repeat. It's like, thank you. I'm going to remind you that this is a Beach Boys song. Right. So, sorry about that, but you're <laughs> going to hear it anyway. Released as a single in October 1966, it was an immediate critical and commercial hit, topping record charts in several countries, including the U.S. and U.K. Characterized by its complex soundscapes, episodic structure, and subversions of pop music formula, it was the most costly single ever recorded at the time of its release. Good Vibrations later became widely acclaimed as one of the greatest masterpieces of rock music. What do you think, Lou? 
I always enjoyed the Beach Boys. Um, it was one of the one of the bands that I was brought up with on my dad, and I really liked it. And that the theremin sound, it almost had like a birdish sound. You almost you think of like a, a seagull or something flying. And then you fast forward to you know Sheldon playing it on Big Bang Theory, and it's like that's where that is. Right, and a theremin, you know, and I I had a vague idea of what a theremin was. I knew the name. Right, and I knew the sound because it's it's one of those sounds. It's kind of got that. It's a Halloween thing, yeah. actually, mainly. But I actually went out and I'm like, okay, what the what the hell is a theremin? And I typed it in the Google because everybody loves the Googles. Oh yeah. And it showed me a picture of a theremin, and I'm like, it looks like uh like a like my small mixing board here, and an antenna. Yeah, really. And you and just... you play it by moving your hands closer and further out of its range of of, of sound. So. You know, it's kind of one of those things. It's like if you had just, if I had just seen this thing, and somebody told me it was a musical instrument, I would have thought something on a, the sound of a synth or something like that. Or wondered like if they're trying to pull one over on you. Well, that too, yeah. So, so what do you got up next, Lou? Up next, I've got "Goonies Are Good Enough" by Cyndi Lauper. Now, the actual title of the song is "Good Enough." Okay. But then Warner Brothers, however, had other ideas. They wanted to market this market it with the release of the Goonies in 1985. If you listen to the song and lyrics, you will likely realize it really doesn't have anything at all to do with the Goonies. Okay, probably not. And in fact, a lot of music that's done for movies rarely do. Well, let's just take a listen. As I mentioned, it really doesn't have anything to do with the Goonies, I mean, like, at all. I mean, I can see where, you know, you tie it together that, you know, uh, because of a misheard lyric. You know, good enough sounds a bit like Goonie love. I suppose, yeah. At the beginning part where Data's sitting there, they're all watching Cindy Lauper on TV and Data's all enthralled because, you know, she was crazy and good looking or whatever. I can honestly think that is literally the only reason that they would have picked this was due to the fact that it sounds like it. Whoever was in Warner Brothers that picked this, I don't. I don't understand. I don't get it. I mean, I enjoy the song. It's a good song, but I, I don't get it. Now, I am not at all familiar with the song, and I've never seen Goonies. Oh, God, that's right. It's on our list. It's on our list, and he, every time you bring up the Goonies or the Sandlot, you're like, talking like everybody should know, and I'm like, no clue. It's just, it's not been in, in my uh, list of things that, but that's okay. So anyway, Cindy Lauper always liked her stuff. She was always a fun kind of quirky. musician. Yeah, quirky. I first, my first take or my first time I ever saw Cindy Lauper. I mean, I knew the song "Girls Just Want to Have Fun," but the first time I ever saw her was in WrestleMania three, I think it was. Oh, of course, yeah. With the the rock and wrestling connection thing they did. They they put some serious money into that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so, she was with Captain Lou a lot. Yes, she was with Captain Lou, which, which is your namesake. Yep. Well, I don't know if it's your namesake. It partially is, and that's part of the reason why I I know of her and more so the music. But I saw Captain Lou as her dad, and the girls just want to have fun. And I'm like, yay. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it because I don't have a whole lot to say about it. It is what it is. There you go. So what you got? All right. Up next, I have Let the Good Times Roll by The Cars. Good song. Good song. Uh, Good Times Roll is a song by American rock band The Cars. 
Uh, and it's the first track from their 1978 debut album, The Cars. Okay, I have a question. <laughs> Such an original title. Right. No, but here's here's my question. is Why is it every band, almost every band, seems to think that their first album has to be named after the band? You know, it's a good question. I mean, because really, if you think about it, a lot of the bands who are out there, usually their debut album is self-titled. Yeah. You know, I mean, honestly, you could probably easily un both hands and both feet come up with easy ideas on who that worked for. I think Aerosmith's debut was named Aerosmith. Yep, Bon Jovi's was Bon Jovi. Van Halen was Van Halen. However, you get certain ones that do their self-title one like... As their sophomore. Well, no, or like five or six into it. Metallica. Metallica's Black Album is just Metallica, Metallica. Right, and And the Beatles' White Album was the Beatles'. They right. didn't do it as their first one either. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's, for Metallica, that was, what, five albums in? Four? Something like that, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of the general rule, and, of course, Metallica's known for giving the finger to the rules. Fair enough. But, um, yeah, it's it's just kind of an interesting thing you bring up. All right, so anyway, back to this. Uh, with its slow, lumbering rhythm, the track becomes a modest hit. <laughs> lumbering. <laughs> the track became a modest hit when it was released as a single in 1979. It has since appeared on many of the Cars compilation albums. The track was produced by Roy Thomas Baker, written and sung by Cars lead vocalist and rhythm guitarist Rick Akasek. It was released as the album's third single. The song begins with electronic drums and a guitar riff, soon joined by Akasek's lead vocals and synthesizers by keyboardist Greg Hawks. Here, take a listen. Despite this, the on-tempo sounding title, Good Times Roll, it is a mid-tempo song with a beat described as languid, psychedelic, and creepy. Did, the, you, did you look up languid? What the hell does that mean? That's just like... It, did you do the Googles? I, I did not do the Googles, but languid is just like kind of slow and... Lumbering? Lumbering and... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like... Um, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just kind of that slow, you know, easygoing, flow-through type thing. It's a lazy river. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. The lyrics are similarly described as withering and Asek's vocal style as clinical. Good Times Roll, along with the rest of the tracks from The Cars, was recorded in just two weeks. However, the album's chart success was so long-lived that the release of its follow-up, 1979's Candy O, was delayed. So what's your thought, Lou? I Before we get to that, actually, I love this song. I oh, yeah. don't consider it to be pretty much any of the things that I found written about it, except maybe psychedelic, and I suppose it could sound a little creepy. I guess I can, I can buy that. I will have to say one thing. We mentioned Face for Radio earlier in the show. Yes. Have you ever seen Rick Ocasek? Oh, yes. He's, got, he's not Joey Ramone ugly. But he's definitely got a face for radio. Is there anybody that's really Joey Ramone ugly? Fair point. But, yeah, I those are not videos you want to watch. They're funny, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the video for You Might Think, where he's like the little fly face, it's all the computer animation one. Right. It's comical to watch. And this, is a, this song is actually an entertaining song by the Cars. I'm just glad I don't have to watch it. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What do, you, what do you got for us, Lou? 
Well, we're going to go with something happy. So Happy's good, especially on an, an episode titled Good. Well, exactly, and happy we might be doing later, but I digress. What I'm going for is I'm Into Something Good by Herman's Hermits. Okay, I like uh, Herman's Hermits. They're a good band. Uh, it's a 1964 song. It's a feel-good song that came to us during the middle of the British invasion by, it's called a beat band, I guess, Herman's Hermits. They covered this Earl John, Earl Jean? Sure. Sure, okay. Song as their first hit. So again, it was a cover as their first hit, which we hey, already wait, talked wait. about. Hey, wait, wait. When have we ever cared if we pronounce people's names right? Good point. Continue. All right. Well, you know, let's take that break to take a listen to it. This is really a true, it's truly a happy little piece about a guy who's recalling meeting his special girl the night before and how he's really, really digging her. The song's been used during couple or love montages in a lot of movies uh, for good reason i think if i recall correctly naked gun was one of them uh, i believe you are correct and it's an honest to goodness happy song with really no negative connotations true um, absolutely it's an entertaining song and again a part of that british invasion it just seems to work yeah i, I can't disagree with you there now herman's hermits i uh i've always been a fan of that 50s and early 60s rock and roll okay so it's a perfect thing for me i i really like that feel of the happy music for the most cases um not not always but it's a lot of times it's very happy music you know, the biggest problem is, you know, somebody's going out with somebody else's boyfriend kind of thing. You know, that if that's if that's the biggest problems we have in this world, I'm all for it. Oh, hells yeah. You know, we, we have to move a little bit further. We get to the 70s, and that's when you start getting like, things like war and... Uh, right. And, um, like, all along the Watchtower and, and stuff like that. And that's good music in its own right, too. But when I think of rock and roll, that's where my mind automatically goes, is that mid to late 50s... Early to mid-60s. I think, for me, I guess I consider that more pop than rock. Because it was kind of, fit, it was still rock and roll per se. Mm -hmm. But to me, that seemed more, like Beatles was more rock. But I think more, this would be more pop to me. Okay. And um, that's fair. That, that's a fair, uh, you know, that's a fair discussion on that. I, I don't think you're wrong. I just don't think I agree with you. Fair enough. You know, and I'm sorry, but like, this guy who's singing for Herman's Hermits, I mean... I envision some dude walking down the way with a big cheesy grin on his face, kind of swinging his arms like, eh, if you can see this, it's really terrifying, actually. <laughs> actually, it's it's a little terrifying. Please save me. <laughs> What's no. the safe word? <laughs> Fire truck. Fire truck. Anyway, yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, at least their outward persona was that. Very happy-go-lucky, very kind of... Bouncy, almost. Yeah. So what you got for a follow-up for me? All right. I am going to go the complete opposite of Her the Herman's Hermits. I'm going to go to uh, 1989. Okay. And this song released 1989 as the album's first single, Dr. Feelgood, became Motley Crue's first American top 10 hit, uh, peaking at number six on the Billboard Hot 100 on October 28, 1989. It is their highest-ranked single to this day. In November 1989, the single was certified gold by the RIAA for more than 50,000 units shipped in the United States. Dr. Feelgood is a song by the American heavy metal band Motley Crue. It was released as the lead Stop single. Stop drinking before writing. <laughs> Do I have to? 
Well, no, well, yes, it's funnier when you don't, but... It was released off of their fifth studio album of the same name, Dr. Feelgood. It's Motley Crue's only gold single, and it is ranked the 15th greatest hard rock song of all time by VH1. Now, I have a problem with this. The fact that VH1 is ranking hard rock. Why do you have a problem with that? Because VH1 was like the adult contemporary station. Okay, I can buy that, kind of, because you had MTV, which was more of the rock. Right. But then you had VH1, which was more of the oldies, per se. Yeah, the adult contemporary was the stuff your parents listened to. And were the parents no? <laughs> I know we are, but... <laughs> but you know what? If you think about VH1 Classic, I know this is further down the road. You've got, like, Eddie Trunk, who does, like, that metal show and everything else. I think they always had the roots there, but they knew what their audience was. That's why they focused... But And it's just like Rolling Stone ranking anything, because Rolling Stone's a rag. Okay, fair enough. So let's take our little diversion there to uh, tickle your music lobe with this clip. A demo of the song was released on the Critical Crew edition of the album in 2003, which was sung from the point of view of Dr. Feelgood. Uh, example, in first person rather than third. An instrumental version of the song appeared in the movie Highlander, The Final Dimension. So what do you think, Lou? What, what do you think of, well, this song? I, I really I really like it. In fact, Dr. Feelgood was literally my first CD I ever bought. Oh, okay. Um, I remember, and I don't know if this will get bleeped or not, but... Um, a shout out to Inner Sleeve on Scott Street. Why would I bleep that? Well, I don't know if names, if we can't, whatever, but... No, we can, as long as... I mean, in this case, they don't exist anymore. Yeah, they do. Oh, wait, Inner Sleeve is still there. You're right. Yeah, no, they were next to Shepard and Scheller. Right, they just moved. They moved, they moved down downtown. to the landmark building. I don't see why we couldn't. Worst case scenario, he calls us and says, bleep that. Okay, well, I wasn't sure. Then I'll know he's listening to well, our well, podcast. there you go. There's, it's a, it's a <laughs> silver lining, I guess, per yeah. se. So anyway, go on. No, Mike's a good guy. No, that was the first CD I got. I remember because in middle school, a couple of the guys in my class did a talent show, and they did a talent show of same old situation. Okay. And which, the fact that in a Catholic middle school, we did that particular song, and if you know that song <laughs> and what it's about... I do. Probably shouldn't have gotten past the censors. But that being said, I wanted the song, and I'm like, okay, fine. So I went for it, and... It was on Dr. Feelgood, and the whole disc is pretty good. I mean, there's some albums that, you know, there's occasionally the dogs that you have to right. fast forward through. But this is one of the few that you can actually listen to the whole disc and really not have to fast forward. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much a true statement. I My older brother had this CD when I was a kid. Okay. And he left to go to the Army, so then I had the CD. Uh, you know, and I think it's in my collection somewhere yet. Uh, but anyway, so what do you got up for next? Next, we're going to go um, just a few years back. We're going to go to John Cougar Mellencamp with Hurts So Good. You know, unlike Herman's Hermit's sugary 60s happy song, this one, while still about loving someone, is a little bit more how it's not always the stereotypical love. While it's still a positive song, it's got a little bit of a rough edge to it. Yeah, um, I would agree. We'll take a quick listen here. Hurts so
about it, it could almost be a song about a little bit of an S&M mixed in. Okay. I, you know, you I can see what you're saying there, but I don't think that was the idea. Probably not, but, you know, of course, we all think different things here. You know, a little bit of a pleasure and uh, pleasure and pain, peace, budding heads, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. I'm sure that the Bible Belt down-home singer Mellencamp didn't mean it as such. <laughs> But we never know. The the Bible Belt has been repressed, so maybe his music is a way of saying, you know what, Indiana, no. But no, it's it's yeah, a I very get... radio-friendly song, played all over the place. Any classic rock, you listen to Pandora or anything else, it's going to come up. Oh, yeah, it's still everywhere. It's it's in heavy rotation on a few of the local radio stations here, even. And that's not a bad thing. No, it's not. It's it, As I mentioned, it's very radio-friendly, and it's it's just a good song. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, up next, I have uh, one of my favorite overall artists, and one of one of his songs that are one of my favorites, probably because it was one of the first songs I heard of his. Okay. Uh, Only the Good Die Young is a song from Billy Joel's 1977 uh, pop rock album, The Stranger, which is one of the songs on that album that isn't a dog. The Stranger was not a very good album in no, my not, in not my opinion. It was the third of four singles released from the album. The song was controversial for its time, with the lyrics written from a perspective of a young man determined to deflower a Catholic girl. The song was inspired by a high school crush of Joel's, Virginia Callahan. The boy-slash-narrator believes that the girl is refusing him because she comes from a religious Catholic family and that she believes premarital sex is sinful. Here, listen to this clip. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know that only the good die young. Oh, baby. Maybe she's turning him down because he looks like Droopy. That could be too, but... Uh, I mean, how so he landed Christy Brinkley, nobody knows to this day. Cha-ching! She's got her own damn money. Well, that's true. Maybe he's got a good personality and he's... Hot in the sack? I don't know. There's got to be something, but God. I mean, he's not homely, but at the same time, seriously, look at him. He looks like Droopy, the cartoon. Yeah, kind of. Anyway, he sings, uh, You Catholic girls start much too late, but sooner or later it comes down to fate. I might as well be the one. So attempts to censor the song only made it more popular. After religious groups considered it anti-Catholic and pressured radio stations to remove it from their playlists, when I wrote Only the Good Die Young, the point of the song wasn't so much anti-Catholic as pro-lust. Joel told Performing Songwriter Magazine, The minute they banned it, the album started shooting up the charts. Imagine that. Yeah. In a 2008 interview, Joel also pointed out one part of the lyric that virtually all the song's critics missed, and the boy in the song failed to get anywhere with the girl, and she kept her chastity. Lou, what do you think? I, I enjoy this song, not because of the connotations there, but like one of my favorite lines in it, I believe, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. That You did not butcher it at all. No, I enjoy the song. It's a fun, it's a bouncy song too, and yes, Virginia, I, I don't know what else to say really. I mean, it's an entertaining song. I mean, yeah, there's, <laughs> if you censor and ban something, we're going to want it more. Oh, yeah. Think, I mean, of, think about when you were a kid. Oh, Cop Killer. Think of that. Well, okay. I, I would, or anything by NWA. Yeah. So um, the song Cop Killer, which was done by the group Body Count. Yep. Do you remember when that came out and like three, four, five days later, it was off shelves. They, they banned it because of the song Cop Killer. Tape World in the mall. Yeah, that's where I actually got a copy of it before it was pulled from the shelves. Okay, yeah. And I went and got it because I knew this was coming. And I'm like, what the hell are they banning? Why are they banning a song? I did go through my 
quit my I went through this like 25 minute phase of into like you know that gangster rap stuff because some of my buddies listened to it it didn't last very long but body count was one of those bands that I really could kind of get behind because they were really super heavy but they were also gangster you know it was kind of a crossover type thing you know that's a band I will still every once in a while on YouTube I'll be like you know, body count and see, you know, listen to a few songs. You know, it's like anything that, like, when you were younger, if your parents said, no, you can't do that, you're going to seek it out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I seem to recall, you know, and I know, Dad, you're listening to this, so sorry. Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, yes. He is not for kids. No, obviously. not at all. And I remember being in Scouts, no less. Okay. Coming back from a camp out, and whoever drove the vehicle threw that tape in or whatever. Really? Yeah. And it's just like, obviously never mentioned it, but it's just like, oh my God. So was that Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts? It was Boy Scouts. It wasn't quite Cub Scouts. Were you Weebos? <laughs> no, no, no. It was a little later than that. Okay. At least you at least you got that. All right. So what do you got next? Next, we're going to go with A Little Journey. Okay. And we're not going anywhere, but actually by Journey. Yes, I, I get that. And you seem to enjoy Journey. They, they've hit the list a few times. They have because they fall into a lot of categories. Okay. Fair enough. Now, this one is Be Good to Yourself. Okay. Um, it was, I apparently didn't put what year it was released in, so you can do your own research if you want and look it up. Or if you don't care, great. Thumbs up to you. If there's ever really a motivational song that's written, I think this is going to be one of them. Um, Steve Perry was going some through some pretty serious stuff in his life at the time, I think issues with his mom, co-wrote the song with keyboardist Jonathan Cain, and it was kind of a mantra about being positive no matter what life throws at you. We'll take a quick listen here to hear about that. The song really states, no one's going to do it for you, so you got to be good to yourself. You know, life has stress. Don't make it worse by mistreating yourself or mistreating yourself, as it were. In fact, enjoy it and make it a good one. You know, I hear spa days work wonders, actually. That's what my wife says. I've never really uh, done a spa day, so, uh, yeah. I don't know if I'll do the cucumbers and the ice things, but I'll tell you what, a good massage is zang. Yeah, I would agree with that, so... Are you checking to make sure you didn't uh, give yourself a triple intro this time? or? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so up next, because I really don't have anything to say about uh, about that song. Um, you know, I think you pretty much hit all the points, all the high points, so it's good enough for me. And if there are high points to be hit, Steve Perry was able to hit them. That's true. Up next, I've got Good Lovin' by The Rask. Okay, yeah. Okay, so this takes us back to that mid-60s time. Mm-hmm. It's a song that was written by Rudy Clark and Arthur Resnick. Uh, that was a number one hit single for the Young Rascals. Here, take a listen to this. The song was first recorded by R&B artist uh, The Olympics, produced by Jerry Regnavoy. This version reached number 81 on the Billboard Pop Singles chart. The song uh, may be called an adaptation of Good Lovin' by Let Me Be Good, recorded in early 1965 and written by Rudy Clark. The tale is told that Rascal Felix 
Cavalier heard it on a New York City radio station, and the group added it to their concert repertoire. Co-producer Tom Dowd captured this live feel on the recording, even though the group did not think the performance held together well. Good Lovin' rose to the top of the Billboard Pop Singles Chart in the spring of 1966 and represented the Young Rascals' first real hit. Good Lovin' is one of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll and was ranked number 333 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. Writer Dave Marsh placed it at number 108 in his 1989 book, The Heart of Rock and Soul, the 1001 greatest singles ever made, saying it is, quote, the greatest example ever of a remake surpassing the quality of an original without changing a thing about the arrangement, and that good lovin' all by itself is enough to dispel the idiotic notion that rock and roll is nothing more than white boys stealing from blacks. Lou, your impression? Oh my God! Wow, that definitely turned out, took a turn right. Well, there. it's it's a direct quote. It's not me saying it. No, this, no, no. This is I'm a direct not saying quote. you did, but it, I was not expecting that actually. No, it's a good song. I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. It's not really one that I go out of my way to listen to, but I won't change it if it comes on. Fair enough. All right, man. What do you got up next? We got a little Joe Walsh coming at you. Okay. Um, Life's been good uh, by Joe Walsh, um, former James Gang and Eagles guitarist slash singer Joe Walsh gave us this satirical song about living the life of a rock star in 1978. Uh, in it, he tells a story about and explains what a day in the life of a rock star would be like. So we'll take a quick listen on that one. Now, the overall message is pretty much exactly as the title states. You know, life's been good, and unlike many of the celebrities out there, he actually seems to acknowledge that he's got it pretty good. Even if it is satire poking fun at musicians, it's nice to see that he realizes that he's been blessed. Yeah, that that's good to see in, in anybody that makes it. You know, these um these artists out there that they're, you know, they're they're always striving. They've never made it, they're never happy with what they do. And it's just it gets old. Oh, it does. You know, I mean, and I get that you've got your struggles. I get that, you know, the fame is hard to take care of. But honestly, shut up. Yeah. I if mean, it's if it's so damn hard and it's such a burden, be done with it. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's actors who do that. They're like, you know what? Rick Moranis, for example. Yeah. He retired because I believe his wife died of cancer. Yeah. And he had kids and he's like, you it's not worth all that. I've got my money. I've got my royalties. I'm tapping out. And he, he hasn't done squat sense um he did some voice stuff for disney oh, did he? okay yeah, for brother bear he was one of the moose with dave thomas okay so strange brew okay characters all right um and they reprised it for the sequel but really i mean voice is about all that he's done in fact even for ghostbusters which is one of his breakout movies he turned it down yeah yeah partially because and we're, we're gonna argue with this one it wasn't great but even the video game ghostbusters which was really really good and brought back all the original cast members except for sigourney weaver and him he still passed on it because he's sticking to I am retired, which right. good on him. Right. And his thing with the retirement was he had these little kids he had to deal with and he couldn't in good conscience go, well, I can't be a good dad and a good actor. And he always struck me as the kind of guy that was, if he was going to do something, he was going to do it and he was going to do it to the best of his ability. Oh, he's all in. Right. And if he has to split those things, he's not going to get the be Neither side is going to get the best. So he probably came back to doing like voice acting and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. after the kids grew up. 
Oh, yeah. And it's just like kind of one shots here and there. I mean, I got a lot of respect for that. Yeah, I do too. Um, you know, there's another um, Kevin Smith. He did the movie um, Jersey Girl. I think most people know who Kevin Smith is. Yeah. So he did the movie Jersey Girl. And in that movie, he had a young actress named uh, Raquel Welsh. Or I think that's what her name was. She, no, Raquel Castro. Oh, I was going to say. I'm sorry. Ra- Raquel yeah, Raquel Welsh, Welsh is somebody not a young else. actress. No. Raquel Castro. And they did their. Um, their tour in Europe and this little girl was going around with him and stuff, you know, and he's like, and everybody kept asking her, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he's like, you know, she's probably sitting there. She's 10 years old. She's probably sitting there thinking, bitch, this is it. This is what I do. (laughs) You know? And I'm like, yeah, that would have been me if I was 10 years old and people are like, you're great. You did this. You did that. You know, up next, uh, I'm going to jump here. Um, or is it your turn? No, I just did. Yeah, you just did that one. Okay, so, uh, Nothing But A Good Time by Poison. All right. It's the first single from the glam metal band Poison, second studio album. Open up and say, ah, I don't know why. I just like doing that. (laughs) It's written like that, too. Oh, it is. The song was released as a single in 1988 on Enigma Records and reached number six on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 19 on the mainstream rock charts. It also charted at number 10 on the Australian charts and number 35 on the UK singles charts. Here, take a listen. The music video features a restaurant employee played by the same actor who appeared in the video for Motley Crue's You're All I Need, washing dishes while listening to the Kiss hit single Rock and Roll All Night, performed by Poison. The manager enters, turns off the radio, and delivers to the employee a scathing reprimand, reminding the employee that he's being paid to wash dishes, not listen to that, that rock and roll, and accusing him of moving in two speeds, slow and stop. The manager exits, whereupon the employee abandons the dishes and kicks open a nearby door to reveal a concert hall stage, upon which the band then performs the song. When the song is over, the manager returns, discovering, to his surprise, that all the dishes are washed. Isn't that very much a 1980s, early 90s rock and roll video? Oh my god, it, there's <laughs> there's really nothing else you can add to it to make it. No, that so. that is that is a complete trope of an 80s slash early 90s rock video. It, you know, it very much reminded me of the Twisted Sister videos. Oh yes. Especially with like the uh, manager being a dick about it, you know, kind of like the, what do you want to do with your life? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I really like this song. It's a fun song. Poison always struck me as, and I've read a lot of these um, personal stories from the different rock musicians the autobiographies and that kind of stuff and poison really seems to kind of have been that group that made it even though everybody else hated them all the other bands hated them were they like what the nickelback of the 80s yeah pretty much <laughs> now and when i read that i'm like wait a minute i liked poison i never did you know, like them on skinny bop and all the different i mean they were like every other hair band they had hot women in the videos and they sang about having fun having parties driving cars you know, and they were relatively clean too. Yes, they were. And that's I think that's part of why they didn't get the recognition maybe because you had bands like Guns N' Roses who dropped F bombs, who were swearing in their songs, had women moaning in their songs, everything else. Motley Crue did a lot of the same stuff. Right. And then you had hair metal poison. I use metal lightly. Right. Because CC DeVille can can shred. Yes, for sure. He can. Yep. He's kind of cartoony. Right. And 
you know, where they had their liquor problems and everything else, like the VMAs one year, I guess, right. um, they weren't. But you know, Brett Michael, hardcore. Brett Michaels. Um, a lot of people don't know this. He's a type one diabetic, so he couldn't do a lot of the excess stuff that everybody else Didn't did. Didn't he like have like a brain aneurysm recent, like within the last yeah, ten years? Yeah, within the last ten years. Yeah, after long after Poison. But during or just after one of his I Love Brett Michaels or whatever one yeah, show. Yeah. So anyway, so what do you got up next? Next, we're gonna go back to the disco era. Okay. We've got. Good Times by Chic, I think it is. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know that song. No Disco Collection would be complete without this song. Um, if you listen to any of those Rhino's Disco hits or Now That's What I Call Disco or whatever <laughs> bullshit it's going to be, um, this song is going to show up. It's about as shiny and happy of a title there is, imploring the listener to, for lack of a better way to put it, screw it, go out and have a good time. Yeah. So we'll take a listen here quick. basically just say go out and put your troubles on a shelf and have a good time live in the moment enjoy the free love excess of the 1970s which would give way to even more excess of the 80s because this one came out in 79 just before right and disco era was a big time for cocaine in the united states oh yeah so i mean that party started in the 70s and just kept going right up through the early 90s most likely oh yeah you know and this is pretty much an example of disco escapism at the finest yeah absolutely there's there's no other way to really put it so how, what is where do you land on disco as as a music type not a fan yeah i'm not either um if have you seen detroit rock city I ha well, it's been years, but yes. But how they had like they they call them like Stellas and Guidos, where were the uh, the disco people, and then of course we had the rock people who were into Kiss and everything else. If I would have been in that age group, I probably would have been on the rock side versus the disco side. Oh yeah, I, absolutely. I, disco is one thing that never, and we were born at the tail end of disco. Thankfully. Yes. But, you know, it's like, it's just one of those things where it's like, even the Michael Jackson disco album was like garbage. I don't know what it is. Disco is just... I have to say, if I could have had a chance to go back and be part of anything, I can't remember if it was at Wrigley or if it was at Comiskey or whatever when they burned the disco records and it turned into a free-for-all because it was like nickel beer night or something. Oh, God. It, no, no, no. It wasn't that. It was It was cheap beer. And then if you brought a disco album to burn, you got in for free. <laughs> and after the game, it turned into a melee. That would have been... Actually, I, I'd like to see it. I may not want to be part of it. I wouldn't be throwing punches, but just to say you're a part of that would be cool as hell. I'd, I'd spend however much a piece of vinyl costs back in the day just to get it. Oh, yeah. It. Oh, yeah. All right. So up next, I have... Um, going back to the well again, because I have Good Day Sunshine. It's a song by the Beatles on the 1966 album Revolver. It was written mainly by Paul McCartney and credited to Lennon McCartney. Leonard Bernstein praised the song for its construction in a 1967 CBS news documentary. Uh, Richie Unterberger of All Music said the song radiates optimism and good vibes. And Ian McDonald said it is superbly sung by McCartney and exquisitely produced by George Martin and his team. And that it shows the Beatles at their effortless best. So let's hear what their best is. I feel good in a special way. Sunny day, good day, sunshine, good day, sunshine. 
Jeremy said that he was influenced by the Love and Spoonful, the song's old-timey vaudevillian feel. Particularly recalls the Loving the Spoonful's hit Daydream, to which Good Day Sunshine bears some harmonic resemblances. I can, I can hear that, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's one of those songs, Good Day Sunshine, it's exactly, it's a very happy, upbeat, fun song. That said, I am actually not a fan of this song. I, it's not one of, I mean, you know me and with the Beatles, right. I'll listen to them, I'll listen to their number one hits and things like this. The first thing that comes to mind when I hear this song is a commercial because they used it for, I don't know, kick cereal or orange juice or something, but it was... Oh, I think you're right. I think it was an orange juice commercial. Right. So that's that's my first one that came to mind. I'm just like, oh. But Revolver, again, is one of those albums in the Beatles repertoire that doesn't have a whole lot of good on it. Not really. I had to kind of dig to find this song to get this, you know, get the piece that was cut up. And I'm just like, huh. Whereas, like, the White Album or um, Sgt. Pepper or yeah, whatever yeah. else, you can pick at least a couple songs off it. This one's like, let's re- look at the disc, and um, wow, this is really kind of a wasteland, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Revolver was right in that era. They they recorded Revolver right in that era where Yoko Ono was starting to impose her will no. upon the band and where John Lennon was pulling back. And, you know, it was during the recording of Revolver that uh, Ringo told everybody to shove it up their asses and he quit for like three weeks and they were looking for a new drummer. And so, I mean, it was right at that time and it reflects on the album itself. Do you have one more for us? I do, but it's not really the type of music I'm sure that you really even listen to. Okay, that's fine. Okay. And this is called Something Good. It's by the Utah Saints. All right. Utah Saints is electronica house rave type music you are correct sir i do not <laughs> listen to this um if you've ever heard like the mortal Kombat theme from the movie which you know where they got the dude screaming mortal Kombat, yep. and they have that you've heard something by utah saints okay um not really sure i have much to say about it because it's really just they gave us this remix song in which they let us know who they are multiple times screaming their name utah saints over and over and the same phrase I just know that something good's going to happen over and over with a beat. All right. We'll just put a little piece of that in here. first exposure to this was off of a compilation album called only for the headstrong volume two the maintenance guy that i worked with at the mcdonald's in the mall oh the mcdonald's in the mall i know right wow who also was a dj at the new yorker at the of time of course well yeah he would put this in as he's working on the fry mats and everything else and we would basically listen to whatever whoever brought a cd in would want to listen to and as we were closing the lyrics were for really no other reason crap I mean, all they do is they say their name and they say the same thing over, but then again, it's a house song. What do you expect? Yeah. Okay. The rushing beats per minute just seems to motivate you to get the hell out of the, uh, out of us, get the hell out of this store faster. We got done so much faster. It's almost like those workout CDs that have really fast things. Right, right. You're going to start moving faster. So you did eight minute fryers. I didn't do the fryers. I did dishes. Okay. You did eight minute dishes. Yeah, I, absolutely. We're <laughs> done. And I have to say though, listening to that was probably the closest that we would get to a dance club exposure in the Northwoods. Because okay. there's really not that kind of stuff around here. All right. So if you want to reach out to us and give us any uh, tips, hints, 
ideas for episodes, anything like that, you can email us at musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook at Musically Challenged Podcast, and you can send us a note either way there. Um, other than that, any closing thoughts? Lou? No, not really. If you have any ideas or suggestions, as Chad mentioned, go ahead and shout out. You know, Thank you again for all your listeners, and hope you guys have a good day. Yeah, and we'll talk to you next week.